Side note, the one time I asked my dad to buy me sanitary towels, he got me incontinence pants. <gasps> oh, oh, no! Are you joking? told me that they would do the job. So oh, no. do not trust fathers with sanitary products. Oh, no. Um, oh, stop it. I think my parents still have them at the house. My dad, like, refuses to waste money, so they're just lying around waiting. Um, waiting for your daughter. Yeah. Also, I mean, I'm waiting for him to get old enough to I was going to say. Hey! Yeah. Tuned in to the conversation. For her, by her. This episode was recorded in the pod at White City Place. Hello, everybody, and thank you so much for taking the time today to tune into the Conversation podcast. I'm B. I'm a radio producer and presenter. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, all of those things. Just type in B Duncan. I'll probably be there. And I'm so excited for today's topic, but especially because of the amazing women that I have with me in this room today. So I want you all to introduce yourselves. Take it away, Annie. My name is Annie. I'm a journalist, podcaster and amateur cook and also the sole proprietor of my own body. Mm-hmm. Just to reference what we'll be talking about today, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter with the handle at Annie is eating because I'm always eating and you'll find some great food porn there. So yeah, follow me. (laughs) Thanks Annie. My name's Cheryl Fergus Ferrell. I am a presenter, accountant, social activist and very proud Croydonian. You can find me on social sites at Cheryl Fergus Ferrell presenter. So today's episode, we're going to be exploring women's health which, as we all know, is a very important topic. I'm really excited to get started on this. Yep, me too. My name's Stephanie, and I work in tech across the public sector. You can find me on Instagram at Stephanie Griffith. And make sure that you're following us across all of our social media for all of our updates, events, and more. We're at Women of Power UK across Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So to start off, let's just play a little quick game. Um, We're going to go around the table, starting with me and then you Cheryl um, and we're going to tell everyone what is one item or thing that you can't live without I'll start um, I actually picked a person um, <laughs> and it's going to sound really soppy but I can't live without my mum I mean literally because she gave birth to me <laughs> and um, keeping it literal yeah yeah, <laughs> I like so, it. yeah. Um, and like even though she lives like over like 200 miles away in Manchester we talk all the time on the phone. We talk at least once on, once a week on the phone. And then we have our own little family WhatsApp group. Aww. And then we have like a weekly Sunday Skype session, Aww. which has like, we've had a record where we've got to about like four hours on yeah. Skype. Oh my goodness. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes we just, <laughs> sometimes we just sort of sit and just like, I'll be watching them watching TV and then like we'll just like what? start another conversation. Oh or... my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's like Big Brother, but yeah. Yeah. family version. Indian timing is usually like an uh, like an hour later than expected. So that's kind <laughs> of like usually... West Indian time to be fair. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like we say our goodbyes and then my mum's like, oh, oh, wait, by the way, like, and then she'll, we'll start another conversation and then there'll be like another hour. So yeah, I, I honestly can't live without her. So yeah. Oh, what about you, lovely. Cheryl? Um, well, this is going to be a bit sad, really, but I am absolutely addicted to my phone. I need it. I, I use it for everything. I knew I, you were going to say yeah, that. Yeah, connect to the world. 
I use it as my alarm clock to wake up for work. I use it as my appointment, everything. So as, as sad and pathetic as that might sound, I can't live without my phone. And anyone uncommon. that knows me knows, mm. oh, she's always got a head in that darn phone. <laughs> I think it's the 21st century, though. It like is everyone. now. Exactly. Like, literally, I will get anxiety if I've sort of left the house and I don't know where my phone is. Or, yeah. you know, that's why I rarely put it on silence. Sometimes but, it's yeah. quite freeing. I, I broke my phone once and I just <gasps> didn't bother for a month getting another one. It was fantastic. Oh, God. Do you know what? Right. I can imagine it is yeah. because you feel tied to it. Mm. And I'm that I'm the sort of person as well. If someone calls me or they send send me a message, I feel like I need to go back to them or I need to answer the call. And I'm like, you know, you, you don't have to, to answer it straight away. I'm like, yeah. but, but, but I feel <laughs> I should do it. <laughs> so, yeah, oh, my phone's definitely yeah. the one. What about you, B? Um, well, I was thinking about this and I thought that because we're talking about kind of like health and that sort of thing and medical stuff, I thought I'd go for a more serious thing about something that I can't live without, um, which are my medication. So my SSRIs mm. that I take um, for my OCD. Um, I think though that's what the one thing when I was thinking about it, that if I didn't have that in the day, in the morning, it would be a massive big deal for me because mm. um, withdrawals from those kind of drugs can be very serious and... Um, yeah, I think it's good to be talking about these kind of things and not be shamed away from no, from absolutely. saying, you know what, actually, yes, I take medication for this just the same way that I wouldn't feel embarrassed for saying I take a paracetamol in yeah. the morning or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I think that is the one thing that I literally could probably not live without. Mm. Um, and I am trying to come off them eventually, but, again, it's it's a slow thing and you have to very slowly decrease your the amount that you take every single day but mm. I think if you suddenly stop taking it yeah that's how yeah. it goes yeah be very Absolutely. detrimental but yeah that's great um so the first thing that came to my mind was food <laughs> actually that's like, a really good point I try to take it a bit more seriously um but I mean food is probably my main joy in life but um very similar strain to Annie the I don't have a one item or one person but the thing I can't live without are my friends and family I just mm. don't think life would be worth living without them and everything I do I frame around trying to be with them be close to them have experiences with them mm. um, because yeah. they are the most important thing in my life and I think I'll just fall apart without them to be honest shout out to staff family yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, they'll, they'll get big heads um, but yeah, but no, that was really great. Thanks, guys. I think we've all learned a little bit more about each other, which yeah. is nice. Yeah. Um, because this is going to be quite an open, I think, discussion today. Definitely. We're going to be delving deep into everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, yeah. As Cheryl mentioned we're talking about female health, and um, we've got a whole load of different subtopics. We're talking about um, period poverty, contraception, um, when it comes to kind of discrimination in the medical industry between men and women. And so I thought we'd just start by opening up the floor if anyone feels like they want to talk and discuss how they felt when they first got their period or the sort of stuff that they knew about periods and were expecting. Because I remember when I first got my period, I was um, really excited about it, which now oh, wow. I think back and I'm like, oh, God, <laughs> I don't know, poor, poor girl. She didn't know what was coming for her. But um, I was very excited about it because for me, it felt like I'd always been told you're a woman 
when you get your period. Um, yeah. But I was quite young. I mean, I was I was in my early teens, and it's weird to think back then that I thought this was me now becoming a woman, and now suddenly I'm mature and I'm mm. and I'm ready. But I literally knew nothing about it. You know, I remember the first time trying to put on a sanitary pad in the bathroom and just being like, "What am I doing? What what's happening? What are these flaps? How is it going to stick on? I don't understand." No one tells you how to do it. Yeah. Did they not tell you like in primary school? Did you not have like a little sort of session with the yeah, girls? Yeah, we, we had, had someone that come in. Yeah, well, we had one and stuff to take away. We had this absolutely terrifying. It's still burned into my memory. Um, of somebody showing us how a tampon works and they <gasps> put a tampon into like a glass of water and if you've seen that it just explodes oh, yeah. oh my gosh I was so scared thinking <laughs> that's going to explode <laughs> into I don't use tampons and I still think it's because that scared me oh so God, much nice. I thought of this to be fair oh, yeah. that God. probably wasn't the best way horrendous <laughs> um, so yeah that was my experience of, of periods I mean it, my excitement did go downhill from that but, um, <laughs> did anyone else kind of have any weird well, um, so as Annie mentioned, my first experience of my mum was very open with me. So from the age of about 10, she started to talk to me about periods because I grew up in our, my group of friends. I had some older female friends and they had started theirs. And I remember saying to my mum once sitting on the sofa, we were watching TV and there was an advert on TV for always you know the pads and stuff like that and yeah and there was a little song this one was targeted at teenagers Mm. and it was these teenagers bopping up and down looking cool and I thought oh so what's this all about you know how's (laughs) this all working what is it they're having such a good time doing gym and skiing and (laughs) the beer commercials they want you to want to have a period oh goodness (laughs) sake so my mum was really open about it because she always said that you know she came from the generation where her mum wasn't necessarily as open about Mm. these things so she explained to me the, the mechanics of it all and she also said to me you know when you get to a certain age this is what happens um, at school we had somebody come in and spoke to the girls they gave us a little pack to take away with a miniature box of tampons some pads and like leaflets mm. on how you mm. put them on and stuff like that so I, I, I knew of it mm. but in my situation um, I still remember it was 1994 and I was, I know the year only because it was the year I moved abroad. So, um, yes, I moved abroad to Guyana in South America. Um, and initially my mum was remaining in the UK for a couple of months because she'd had um, some surgery at the time. So um, I went over straight away with my dad and my brother. And of course, sod's law. Yeah, it happened when I was with my God. dad and my brother. Oh, so God. I remember literally sort of going to the bathroom thinking, oh, Oh, at first, oh my goodness. And then I was like, oh, oh this is what mum told me about. Yeah, 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 Here's yeah. that thing so people keep that saying. So it's awkward oh, moment of, I always remember my dad was lying in bed reading the broadsheets and I sort of knocked on the bedroom door and he was like, yes. I was like, mm-hmm. oh, um, dad, um, something's happened. I've started my period. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I had a much older dad. So, you know, he was a bit, he kind of put the paper down yeah. and he was like, um, has your mother spoken to you? <laughs> Do you have what you need? Do you need me to go to the shop and get you anything? Have you been warned about this affliction? Do you know what this is? And I was like, yes, dad, don't worry. Mum's, you know, fully oh prepared gosh. me. And he was great. And I thought, you know, it was wow. wonderful that not only as a dad, 
he couldn't necessarily relate to that he was great, but also that he was a much older dad. Mm. Yeah. So he, my father was the sort of age that most people's grandfathers would be. Mm, yeah. So for him to be that open and honest about it, it was great. Oh, oh, very positive. Yeah, yeah so my that dad, was a really positive experience. My Bless dad you, is dad. the polar opposite. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the youngest of, uh, there's four kids in my family. I'm the youngest. I've got two older sisters. So in mm -hmm. that sense, I was very lucky. I was brought up, I, I knew about periods. There were always sanitary pads lying around the house. Um, side note, the one time I asked my dad to buy me sanitary towels, he got me incontinence pants. <gasps> oh, oh, no! Are you joking? <laughs> told me that they would do the job. So oh, my God. do not trust fathers with sanitary products. Oh, no. Um, oh, stop it. So, I mean, I guess better than having the, like, the, were they, like, the big ones? They're, like, the, really the ones, skinny they, ones. Go, granny, they go up to your waist. Pants. I guess I'd rather it's have like them than the really tiny, skinny ones. True. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, your blessings. I think my parents still have them at the house. <laughs> my dad like refuses to waste money, so they're just lying around waiting, um, waiting for your daughter. Yeah, also, I mean, I'm waiting for him to get old enough to. I was going to say, hey. I was like, B. I was so impatient to start my period. I was 13 when I started, and I was. I'm an April born person. <laughs> um, so all my friends had started their period already. Uh, I seem to be in a group of friends. Everyone started bang on 13 and I remember really wanting to start mm. like you I think because it felt like it a felt, kind of coming of age yeah thing. it felt like a milestone that I really mm. really wanted to reach I felt like I wasn't in a club that my sisters were in that everyone else was having these conversations you were missing out was, on something somehow yeah, yeah. That I, I didn't I didn't maybe didn't fully know what the female experience was because I wasn't having periods um mm. and the day I started I was just about to set off with my best friend and her family on a on a like four hour bike ride. Oh, oh so my not God. only did I have to tell my well, my best friend was great. She she we like went to her bathroom, she gave me a pad, it was all good, but then having to go tell her dad. Oh, it's mortifying. That I had started my period and could not go on the bike ride was incredibly humiliating. The thought of that would stress me out even now, I think. Yeah. It's terrible Actually, that now, we feel that way. We yeah, should not feel now, that way. Now I don't really care if I make other people I feel like it's more I used to be worried about making other people feel uncomfortable with yeah, my period and yeah. now I'm like whatever it happens get over it because yeah. I've had to but um on the whole mm. pretty good experience what about you Annie <laughs> um well I started my period the summer before I started secondary school and I was we were visiting London and I went to stay with my cousins in Essex and um, my cousin, two girls, one's older and one's just a bit younger than me. And I started whilst I was staying with them. And I had no idea, like, what to do. And I just, like, I was like, oh, I just want my mum. Mm. But, like, my auntie, she was really good. She helped me out. I think because, like, she had uh, an older... She'd gone through yeah. before, you know, so she knew exactly what to do. So big up her. Yeah. But, like, and then when I, when I got home, I was, like, just terrified. And I, I just... Mm. It's just I think it was just a bit, a bit of a sort of traumatic experience for me because I was like I, I wasn't in my own like comfort zone. Yeah, yeah, that's a big part yeah. of it as well. And that's a very interesting point because I think that is something that can we can relate to a conversation about um, people. Obviously, we all have had experiences, different experiences, positive, some more negative. Um, but there are girls in the UK. There are girls in the world who. Um, are experiencing all of these things heightened because either they don't have access to sanitary products or they don't have even access to a toilet. I think one uh, 1.25 billion women in the UK 
Uh, no, in the world, sorry. <laughs> there aren't that many. <laughs> um, don't have access to a toilet during their period, mm. so that's just uh, due to where they live or if they're homeless or yeah. anything like that. And we can kind of, I think, sympathise with us having had these kind of experiences. Imagine doing that with no protection, yeah. no one to go buy sanitary, even incontinence pants, yeah. <laughs> not even that. Um, no. But, yeah, I mean, what do you guys think about period poverty at the moment in the UK about what we can do perhaps to to improve it or to to do anything to it really well I mean obviously as you said it, it really is a big issue to be honest until probably about a year ago I was quite ignorant about this mm. especially in the UK mm. there is no mm. way if somebody had said to me in the United Kingdom that you know x amount of girls one third of not going to school. Ooh. Some of them are missing school yeah. Yeah. because they don't have, mm. you know, they don't have sanitary products or what have you. And um, there's a great advert on TV at the moment and they're, they're talking about it's not just missing school, it's missing experiences, it's the communication, obviously, mm. mm-hmm. most importantly, it's the education as well. So the first things first, I'm really glad that it has now been highlighted mm. because you can't deal with an issue until you know that there is an issue. Mm. And what they seem to be doing at schools now is um, they're putting sanitary products, mm. not in the, necessarily in the machines, because it's all well and good having them in the machines, but you've got to have money to get them yeah. from the machines. Yeah. They're very expensive. So, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. So they are putting, like, baskets. A bit yeah. like ladies, you know, when we go to clubs and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. For me, back in the day now. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to be, don't know if they still do this, but they used to be the basket yeah. there with all little bits and pieces. Pay 50p and, yeah. Yeah, you've got pads. And I think got, that's like, nice having it in a basket in a yes. bathroom because it can be embarrassing of to course. have to go to someone and go, don't want I to can't actually teacher. afford yeah. to buy yeah. this product or yeah. this product or you don't even want to admit sometimes that you are having your period yeah. to a yeah. teacher. Yeah. We used to conceal it under exactly. our Oh, definitely. I used to, my mum gave me oh, this little black bag a, little yeah, lace black pocket. bag yeah. and she's like you put it in here and you just yeah. get up discreetly and you go yeah. or you'd see Why some of the girls at school take their handbag or something yeah. it is interesting actually that advert because that same company um i remember not very long ago only a couple of years ago they were running a promotion which was buy this pack of pads and you get this little kind of tin oh the tin yeah. to put like them a, in yes. and, I, and i understand that yeah. like, obviously it is helpful if you've just started your period to, to be able to to mm. do that but i also did find it a bit uncomfortable thinking this yeah. is the leading brand yeah. of sanitary products should we really be encouraging young girls that actually you should hide it in hide this away. pretty paisley tin look at all these fun designs yeah when you get into the bathroom and you just like unrip it all it's yeah. really loud so <laughs> exactly. yeah so why conceal it when everyone yeah. in the bathroom is going to know that you're on your period the pad itself has like flowers on it and yeah. Yeah. All uh, sort of, and you're like, sorry, ah! the thing that offends me most is I remember once seeing scented tampons. Yeah, oh. what's all that about? Oh, it's like femfresh and oh. female oh, hygiene products. It's no, this whole dialogue no, no, about no. how that can give you a whole periods, heap of other issues as exactly. well, problems. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it just it feeds into a dialogue about periods being shameful, periods being something to hide, yeah. yes. periods being something that shouldn't be spoken about in the mainstream because it's yeah. offensive. Yeah. Mm. And think, like, do you know what? And I'm sorry to say it. I think it comes mostly from uh, the sector of society that doesn't have periods. Yeah. <laughs> that was such a nice way of putting it. Very diplomatically. <laughs> it's all you this. men. Definitely. There we go. <laughs> um, but I think that's part of the problem. And I think 
addressing period poverty like Cheryl said it is moving into a mainstream conversation yeah. 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 We, we are slowly getting rid of these ridiculous adverts where they have clinical blue oh, liquid the blue liquid on the and, oh, that's not it. that's yeah. it's I mean, red it's it, blood yeah. just show it god damn it <laughs> but, you but, see enough of it in a Quentin Tarantino movie I don't know why we exactly. can't see it in an advert yeah. like chill well, out I, think I would like to know what he thinks about periods I'd yeah. love to know actually <laughs> I have a feeling I think probably. that's part of a wider dialogue about parts of the female body that have been sexualized <sighs> doing their function and it yeah. like breastfeeding breasts yeah. are for going out Very not true. for feeding or giving birth or yeah. anything like that yeah. people just don't want it's, to think about it they don't want to see mm. it they don't want to know about it and breasts it is, are there for other people's enjoyment taboo, clearly. It? <laughs> it's a cultural taboo because like it does i that's kind of why i kind of have a bit of trauma with having a period so like every every diwali um like every year if I had my period, I wasn't allowed to go to the temple mm. because I'm considered yes. dirty. Yes. And so I've my mum would that. sort of say like, okay, just stay at home and then I'll pick you up later when we meet up with the family. Mm. And I'm like, why? No one is going to look up my sari and no. see that I'm bleeding. Mm. And she's like, oh, I know, just sort of, just, yeah. just let it be. It's just how it goes. Mm. And yeah. how have you found that kind of coming to terms with that now as you grew up and had more periods did you find that that was kind of a, a weight that you had on you or have you felt yeah. able it's to a bur- it's a burden mm. but now like me and my mum are just like oh just don't tell anyone <laughs> yeah. do you know what I mean yeah because like, because like like as I grew up I started wearing tampons so like I was like okay I'm not gonna leak all over my mm. sari now yeah. so you know, that was the mm. that was like the biggest fear that I was gonna leak in the temple, and then people were gonna people see like, know. oh, she's on her period, she shouldn't be here. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's feeding into that narrative though um, about a woman being unclean, mm. and you know, in, in I know in some cultures when the woman's just had a baby, nobody's allowed to sort of see her. She's mm. not to wash for a certain <laughs> yeah. amount of time, and and all these kind of things. And obviously, I'm I'm not attacking you know any culture or anything like that, but it to me it just seems as though. Why are women being mm. put aside as being? It's interesting. As, as shown as almost being dirty. This it's is interesting, a especially function. because vaginas are in the, in their nature. They're self cleaning. Yeah. yeah, a vagina is probably one of the cleanest parts of a body you can have. It cleans itself. It's incredible. I love vaginas. I think they're amazing. <laughs> I think there are so many parts of your body that are, and everyone's bodies, men, women that are dirtier and will always be dirtier than a vagina. Yeah. It cleans itself. It's incredible. Yeah. I'm, I'm hoping it comes from a place of ignorance rather than malice. And I'm really curious yes. to see what's happening in Scotland at the moment. They've yeah. just introduced... Is it in all schools they're introducing and free... Universities, and universities. Yeah. free sanitary products. And I think it will be really interesting to see how that plays out mm. socially and financially because if it can work up in Scotland yeah. I think it should be replicated across the country Definitely. I can't see why it wouldn't work No, absolutely I think also, it, it could, could never be, be a bad thing yeah. ne- people mm. who can afford them won't take them you'd mm. hope that ethically you wouldn't take it if you know you yeah. can get your but own but if you need it I mean yeah if you get mm. caught short or whatever yeah. obviously things happen yeah. but, but you, know, you know a lot of kids it's good to have that at option. stores in the UK they're means tested if they can't afford food they get provided school exactly so why shouldn't you be they, given yeah it's the same thing would you rather that they're missing school yeah. you're you know mm. and then I suppose the teachers probably didn't even realise why they were missing school exactly yeah. Yeah. They because they, they could have been just calling or... in sick or there's thinking oh there's mm. troubles at home mm. or whatever when it's yeah. something that can so easily yeah. be rectified yeah. mm. I mean slight side note but I think it's kind of relates to this I saw a story it was in the US 
and it was about this school where a lot of the students weren't turning up or they were coming in one day a week because they didn't actually have facilities at home to wash their clothes mm. so their clothes were dirty and yeah, they were a bit yeah. smelly and they mm. were being picked on and stuff like that and when these teachers realized what was going on they got fundraising activities they they spoke to their local council and they got about you know loads of uh, mm. washing machine and dryers and stuff at the school so mm. they said to the yeah. kids bring your clothes in you can wash them you can dry them yeah. here this should not be a reason for you not to have an education yeah, not totally. to be coming to school and interacting and and mm. all these things because of something that is beyond your control yeah, yeah. i was going to say i think i think part of you know be asked how we think we can solve it and i think it's happening at the moment it's becoming a mainstream conversation but yeah. i think these institutions schools universities the the adults there need to start taking a pastoral responsibility and not yeah. assuming that it's someone else's responsibility yeah. Yeah. not assuming that it's something that the parents can control and take care of themselves if they're really struggling to make ends meet yeah and, and it's not like they don't know that it's happening yeah they, and, they yeah. know that it's happening if you have young girls or if you have you know, grown-up women yeah. in your university as well. You know Absolutely. that it's happening. Yeah, and everyone I think, has a period. I'm not saying it's like an individual teacher should take responsibility for their no. class, but that the institution, the school, yeah. like you know, do fundraising, whatever. Do it fundraising is. activities. Yeah. If you can't get the money from your council or from mm. the government or whatever, that you know mm. the old saying: it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. If we all pull together and get community, I yeah. see it in my town, in my hometown of Croydon. We do so much for the local community, yeah, and we get people just muck in. I think so I, I think found they will do that if they yeah. if they're made aware of what's going on. Mm. In where I went to uni, we had um, our students' union is very very liberal, very. Um, supportive and they ha they subsidise the tax on sanitary products so there are free sa some free sanitary products in bathrooms but they also subsidise the tax so that if when you go and buy sanitary products in store in the students union the money goes back into the students union and you also have to pay a bit less mm. um, and I ran a kind of um, a sanitary product drive which was for the homeless uh, in Sheffield and that's another thing that often doesn't get thought about we yeah. think we think uh, f home, we think food bank we think food we think cans we yeah. think socks that kind of thing um, but you forget that actually yeah. for a lot of uh, people who have periods on the streets oh it, it's a it's a choice it's a do I buy a pack of pads or do I buy food, food yeah. or a hot drink or something like that and for a hostel so I can exactly get off the street yeah. and what I found was that when we did this drive and I think I only ran it for a couple of weeks but I literally was having to make multiple trips to the food bank to take all of these pads and mm. tampons we even had people donating moon cups which wow. are quite expensive yeah. um, and all you have to do sometimes is give people the opportunity and I think yeah. yes. nobody's put like we're all we're, we're lazy we are lazy and often we won't think about doing it ourselves but no. if yeah. somebody gives you the opportunity and says you can just put it in this box it yeah. won't take a second it's next door to the shop put it in a supermarket it. put exactly. it in a corner shop like you yeah. said so, so it's, I think yeah. it, what you what Stephanie said about institutions it all it takes is for certain institutions yeah supermarkets to go Here's a box. When you're buying a pad for yourself, buy a pack for somebody else. Yeah. It's so simple. The That's way they have the food drive, you know, in the, the uh, near the doors where you can put yeah. food in. And but people need to be reminded. Yeah. Yes. And they, and they have to be given opportunities. That's interesting because I, um, up until recently, was volunteering with the Trussell Trust at a food bank, kind of organising the stock so that when people come, you know, clients can come in, they can pick up their food packages terrible shortage of sanitary products the whole mm -hmm. time and we're getting regularly regular deliveries from supermarkets like tesco's like sainsbury's who like mm -hmm. you said they have the boxes at the front of the store and it's those little changes 
don't just have an advert for saying donate food. Also put an advert yeah. for donate sanitary products. Yes. And even stuff and, and deodorant because and wipes. Yeah. Yeah. Deodorant, Anything bathing wipes. which will yeah. make you feel fresher. I think we all have had experiences where you're, or you're beer mm. and you just feel, you do feel you gross. Feel gross. Yeah. 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 Even yeah. if you don't want other people to think you're gross, you feel gross. Yes. And you just want to lie and eat mm. chocolate and tracksuit bombs um but maybe that's just me um but yeah i think all of this and the stuff that all of you guys have touched on is stuff about um people just a lack of awareness in the general sphere yes. and especially when we look at um men half the population or institutions who have the power to change so i think this is another interesting point which is about um the female body and about how even women don't know enough about the female mm. body and don't know enough about how it works. Um, I mean, I, I, I've had to explain to other women how many holes they have. Yeah. Like, they, they were like, oh, yeah. I thought I only had one for, one for that and one for that. And I was like, no, 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 you've got this, yeah. you've got this. Get like, a mirror, put it down Have there. a look. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's your body and you yeah. should be able to, if we're to not know teaching, what's happening. If we're not teaching people in school, yeah. which we should be, or maybe they're not retaining it, then, mm. like you said, just... Mm. Pure and simple. Have a look at your body. Exactly. Explore your body because only by knowing your body can you know if something mm. isn't right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought it. You know, it's interesting what what you guys feel. How often? When did you first start realizing certain things about your body? When did you first realize, for example, yeah, that you have three holes, or that um, this is how your body feels when it does this? Or how do you think that society is going to be able to increase awareness if even we don't know yeah. enough about our own bodies? So I would say for me this. I mean, I'm 27. This started for me, like, very obviously two years ago. I came off hormonal contraception because I had been on it since I was 16, so about 10 years, and they, I got put on it by my GP because I was having heavy periods, and they were like, oh, well, you can just take this magical pill, mm-hmm. and it's going to regulate your periods, it's going to make them lighter, it's going to make mm. everything so much easier. And, I mean, that was, you know, in the early noughties. I didn't really think much of it. Just everyone was doing it. All my friends were doing it. Obviously, I knew anecdotally that it caused depression. I saw friends pile on weight and then lose weight overnight because of the pill. But two years ago, I came off it because, like, I did not know um, until there's a great book called Moody Bitches that everyone (laughs) should read, um, (laughs) that in your mid-20s, you go through as big a hormonal shift as you do in your teenage years. And no one tells you that. I didn't know until I'd been on the implant for five years, had Mm. wasn't having periods, worked perfectly to all of a sudden I was bleeding every other week for a full Mm. week. They call it the second period, uh, second uh, Uh, second puberty. Yeah, and their solution was to give me a pill on top of the implant. (laughs) I went bloody mad. Literally, I (laughs) I completely lost my shit. Um, And it wasn't until my friends intervened and they were like, "You just need to, you just need to stop taking the pill. We're just going to throw it out." And I just, I, you know, was in such a state. I just agreed. I let, I went to a walk in, got the implant taken out, and all of a sudden, I can read my body more. I'm I'm using I. And I talked about clue. the clue app oh, before. It's a great best. app. You know, now I can I can tell when my body is ovulating. I can tell the changes that my body goes through every month. And I'm not saying that everyone should go hormone free. It's not for everyone. It's a, absolutely it's a personal choice. But for yeah. me, it wasn't. I just didn't know about any of this. That's stuff. the thing because it's often it's masking problems. Yeah. So uh, my experience, I was I I was regular as clockwork from my, the age of eleven when I started right up until about twenty one. 
then at 21 all of a sudden I started getting really sporadic periods and didn't know what was going on very heavy same similar thing to yourself went to the GP as they tell you to do and the first thing he said was yep yeah, we're going to put you on some hormonal contraception and at the time I had never been sexually active and I said well I don't really want to go on this because mm. I don't. I'm only going to be taking it for the period issue. I, I don't need it for contraceptive purposes. Is there anything else that you can suggest mm. or you can give me yeah. that will help with this this problem I'm experiencing, but without having to take these hormones? And very much dismissed. Um, no, no, this is the best thing for you. It's going to regulate everything. You're going to be fine. I'd even mentioned that I had a history, family history of fibroids, mm. which if people aren't familiar with right, fibroids, yeah. they're non-cancerous, um, effectively like tumours, non-cancerous yeah. tumours in and around the womb. And he said, no, this is not going to be a problem for you. Go ahead with this. So I started taking the pill for about three years or so. And then started getting a lot more problems, um, went back to the GP and said, look, this isn't working. I'd like to get my mum. She's she's militant. She said to me, you know, th they can be very dismissive of, of women's issues. So yes. you have to go in there, really ham it up because you have to. You yeah, have yeah. to do what you have to do. Really ham it up. And you tell them pretty much what you want them to do. Mm. So I went in there. I told him this is affecting my quality of life, which it was. Mm. You know, I was in a relationship at the time. It was affecting that. I had to miss a couple of days of work each month and mm. stuff. That was noted as well. So this was really playing a part on my life. And I said, you know, I really do want to get a scan done here because something's not right. Finally, he refers me to um, to get a scan done. And I'm then told that I have three fibroids. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, now, could these have been, um, could this have been exacerbated by the, the hormonal stuff that you've given me? Mm. His face just went <laughs> red. What a bastard. He said, um, well, yes, they can be fed by hormones. Oh I said, gosh. so you didn't think it was right to scan me first and to see if there was any other issue that was going on yeah. before you prescribed me with that hormonal contraceptive, mm. even though I told you all the backstory that I didn't need it. Yeah. I was so hurt. I was so mad. At the age of 25, 26 now, I'm stuck with like three, four I got to five fibroids in the end. At mm, 27, God. I had to have a myomectomy, which is where they take the fibroids out. You keep your womb and everything. Effectively like a, a cesarean. But it's still so, an operation. Yeah. But it was a major operation. Jesus. And I was mm. there in a ward with women who were, you know, twice my age and yeah. stuff. And it was subsequently years later when I moved from the area I was living in and I moved back to Croydon and I went back to my old childhood doctor who was still practising. And he sent me off for tests and stuff that they actually found out that the the issue I had was polycystic ovarian syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. So if they had done that initially, I would not have had to go, I probably wouldn't have had to go through that surgery. Yeah. yeah. Again, it's just the dismissiveness yeah. of, of, mm -hmm. of women and their issues. So that's a very interesting thing that I, I kind of want to touch on. Um, we have a big problem. I, I know we've all discussed this um, kind of between ourselves uh, privately, but um, about the medical industry and about doctors and the dismissal of very often the dismissal dismissal of, uh, of female pain yeah. um and i mean for example there's this statistic that i found that was um in 300 papers on genital evolution between 1989 and 2013 um 50 of those papers were only 
about men. And 8% of those papers were only about women. Mm. Wow. So that's a massive, and it's called the case of the missing vaginas, <laughs> which is incredible. <laughs> but there, we, oh, we've got this case now where... sex tape. <laughs> <laughs> we've got this issue in society where um, that even the people researching, not just the doctors, but the people researching, are not even considering the fact that women might react differently to certain medications. Yeah, that's Or a it's only point. been very recently that we've realised that women uh, experience the symptoms of a heart attack completely differently to men. Yeah. So women, you can actually uh, experience symptoms up to two weeks before and you'll have insomnia and kind of pain all over and that isn't considered to be an issue. Mm. Um, and I think it's, yeah, it's very interesting that very often doctors will see see women's pain and they'll just go okay take this magic pill it'll all go away yeah. and it's fine and they're thinking we'll deal with the consequences afterwards so i recently had this uh, experience recently because i um went to the doctors i went to the gp to discuss some hospital results that i had from a biopsy on my vagina um, and uh, when i got there i didn't realize that it was a male gp until i entered the room and i sort of said like I'm looking to get um, the coil fitted. Could you just sort of explain these hospital results and whether they're going to um, prohibit me from getting the coil? So the first instance where I knew that this appointment was not going to go well was that he couldn't find my hospital letter on the system. So I was like, okay, this isn't going to go well. Doesn't bode well, does it? So he just didn't realise what the date was. So I was like, okay, this is a great doctor. And (laughs) And then when he found the letter, he said, okay, so what do you think the results mean? What? And so I was like, well, I, I came here for you test. to explain to, I, I, I came here for you to tell me what this means. Yeah. So then he said, he's not a poem, I'm not going to interpret it. It's a game show, is it? I don't know. So what do you he, think? Did, he said, he explained it, but very condescendingly. So I wasn't impressed by that. And then after that, I was like, oh, do you think I'll be able to sort of get the coil after this? And he was like, I don't know. I think you'll probably have to speak to the family planning clinic. Mm. So I was like, I fucking took half an hour out of my day to come here for you what to belittle me and not take me seriously. And then just yeah. fob you off to some other waste. department. When I got home, I called up the family planning clinic and, and I spoke to a nurse and in like five minutes, she just like completely explained, explained it, it. Yeah. so clearly and then she booked my call appointment yeah. for me. Yeah, I mean... Five minutes it took. Exactly, and there are so many issues around that kind of thing where it, that you see certain doctors or certain kind of medical practitioners who are trained in certain spheres, so family yeah. planning yeah. clinicians who kind of know, have been trained how to talk through these sort of things. But I feel like that's the kind of thing that should be spoken, should be taught to all medical yeah. Yeah. people. Mm. Because if you're going to be dealing with women, and very often, I mean, this we're just four in here, but we've all had experiences Different where experiences, we've gone definitely. to a doctor and asked for something to do with our, our womb or our vagina or yeah. our whatever, hormonal stuff. Um, and so it's bizarre that we have this, this kind of gap. You shouldn't think that it's a problem, because no. I've been yeah. to male GPs before and they've been fine. It shouldn't be an issue, but I think... Well, you could what, at least triage patients and say, you know, what what roughly, what is this appointment about? And yes. then direct them to a member of staff who feels confident talking about that exactly. yeah. Yeah. topic giving people that option as well and I think in some of the cases it's no excuse by any means but I think a little bit on what B touched on where when women are not they don't use a lot of women in these samples the scientific testing and stuff so they actually don't know yeah. sometimes they don't know how things present in women and yeah. so problem... that you get that impression that they're just fobbing you off or mm. kind of 
styling it out to you know yeah. to the best of their knowledge the best they can give limited. and the cheapest option obviously. Yeah. so up until 1990 women actually weren't you didn't have to have a woman in your medical testing so wow. yeah 1990 yeah. it wasn't a requirement um and so when you look at something for example chronic pain which is something that does affect um 70% uh, or 70% of people with chronic pain uh, are female and yet 80% of pain studies are performed only on men mm. because it's cheaper to study just one sex and for some reason maybe sexism I don't Wonder know why. they decide to go for the men I do I have um, I read an article on this and one reason and I don't think it's a good reason I don't think it's an excuse but um, many uh, experts in the field have suggested that the reason why females have been excluded is that the fluctuation that female hormones go through in a monthly cycle mm. make it too difficult, too oh, to timely and too or... expensive mm. to test with well, female, that's the thing. It's too expensive. female patients. And it's like, just pull your finger out. Yeah, and I think that's interesting. Yeah. You kind of think how much money does it cost you? Like, how much are you willing to spend for female health? Yeah. Women are literally dying yeah. because of lack mm. A lack in, in and spend in the money now, the so that down the line you're not having to spend the money when yeah. when people get really yeah. really ill. You know, women are waiting longer in A and E. Women are waiting longer for cancer mm. um, diagnosis. Yeah. Yeah. Women are waiting longer for, for hormones, pain medication, for pain. Yeah. Yeah. and that and they're, they're dying because of this. And you know, how much money do, are we worth? Yeah, but I mean, also we are in the long run, like Cheryl said, we're going to end up costing them a lot more money. Of course, you've got they're to look trying at the to make shortcuts at the start, and then what that means is that yeah. further down the line, you're they'll left with people who have in incredibly complex medical problems yeah. that cost a lot more than a simple scan. Than a simple scan. Yeah. I mean, this experience that I had, it, I, I don't think it was necessarily down to the fact that I was a woman, but but who knows? There's another bit of other ignorance going on here. So the same doctor who I spoke about earlier who had prescribed me the, the hormonal contraceptive for the period problems, this was the same doctor that I had gone to with a rash. So I had a rash on my chest mm. and just on my lower back. And he looked at it, he kind of scratched his head, and then he sat back and he said, well... I said, have you got any idea as to what it could be? Is it uh, just a rash? Is it a fungal infection? Is it what? Well, it kind of looks like it could be eczema, but because you're dark-skinned, it's difficult for me to tell. Oh, my mm. gosh. So it's not even just For the a listeners gender, out there, I'm a, a black issue. woman. So this was just really... <laughs> um, just putting it out there. Not super tanned, I'm actually... <laughs> And this was just so frustrating because yeah. I thought, well, and he almost sort of sat back with his with his arms crossed. Well, I don't know what he wants to do. Wow. I, I don't know. I can give you some cream and just see if it kind of clears up. Oh. So I, at this point, I'd grown a lot more uh, sort of steadfast. I thought, no, I'm not accepting this. This no. is unacceptable. Yeah. So I did give him a piece of my mind and oh, I God. left Thank that God. surgery. Because I, just I wish wasn't I'd happy. been there. Yeah. And um, again, I went when I went back to Croydon and I saw my doctor. Um, he said to me, he looked at it and he said, it's a it's a skin fungal infection. I'll give you some cream for that and it will clear it straight up. Mm. And it was fine. This guy, the one before, he said, well, we could do a biopsy. We could cut. I said, you want to cut skin off of my chest? Oh, oh my God. Hello? God. Well, just because it's too dark for him to be able some to Some of my favourite assets. <laughs> <laughs> quite frankly and quite shallow. Yeah. Um, no. <laughs> so, you know, I could have, if I'd followed his advice and just gone mm. along with it because he was kind of winging it, 
Mm. He still probably wouldn't have got to the bottom of it, and I would have ended up with you yeah. know considerable scarring on my yeah. chest. So I do. Guys still have his license. I Jesus. hope to goodness he doesn't. He's in Barnet. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Avoid it, ladies. Avoid Barnet. But yeah, it's just wow. it's, it's just really frustrating. Um, uh, yeah, I think you that's do feel like you get the brush off. A very yeah. interesting. Or it's in your head. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, there are so many studies that show that when women go to medical practitioners with issues that they are misinterpreted as psychosomatic issues rather than physical issues. Mm. And I know so many women who've gone through this. I had a friend who in the end was actually diagnosed with endometriosis. And when she first went to the doctor about it, without any any, um, scans, they didn't look at her, they didn't check her up, just said, oh, we don't deal with... um, mental health issues <gasps> and she was like it is not a mental Whoa. health issue there is something wrong with what my a bastard. Wow. Like, womb that's so condescending yeah. who's the one with the medical degree I know. it's worrying isn't it's, it it's because so some terrifying. people do take what doctors say as gospel as of course. so yeah. they'll go away because who and else are you just, supposed to trust and exactly yeah. they won't yeah, ask for a second opinion or school, they might be embarrassed to talk about it with friends and family and to think that people could be suffering in yeah. silence yeah. for so years Two years ago, I suddenly became very, very ill. And there's no way to describe it other than I knew there was something wrong inside my abdomen. I couldn't put a finger on it. There's just something, something did not feel right. I was in so much pain. I developed insomnia because I couldn't sleep because I was in pain. I kept going back to the doctor and, oh, it must be um, a a cyst on your ovary. Oh, but we can't give you a scan for six months. Oh, no, it's Mm. probably um, just, it's probably just period pain. Oh, no, it's this, it's that. And then I had to keep going back over and over again because it got to the point where some some days I couldn't even walk. I'd be at home and my boss would be packing me in a cab, sending me home. I ended up in A&E about four times in the space of six months. And every time I went, it was quite clear that they thought I was hysterical, that I was mentally ill rather than physically ill because I wasn't showing any outward symptoms. And yeah. I got to the point where I was like, they must be right. I'm just making this up. They I, I looked, you. Yeah, start, yeah, I looked you start doubting mirror. yourself. Yeah, I looked completely normal, except for the fact that I was a wreck. I couldn't, you know, I had yeah. dark circles under my eyes. I was clearly not well. But I think the breaking point for me is I went to, the, I went to A&E in an awful lot of pain. And I had um, a male nurse who gave me my initial checkup and he just said, I think you just got gas. <gasps> I was like, what? Oh my how god! Did, how did you manage to keep the fist down? She just started in his I face. Did it. I, I did. I actually just lost my shit. I was like, <laughs> I know what gas feels like. I you don't have flatulence. Um, and then I asked to see a female nurse, and he was like, I am perfectly capable of doing my job. And I was well, like, Well, yeah, you are. Really not. They clearly well, don't teach dismissive. bedside manner they in don't. medical school. You know yeah. they do now. They have to now. Yeah. Do they, they go through tests? You have to pass. Oh, you have to. Really? So I mean, yeah. finally. Yeah, I've had like yourself. You know, you've had experiences where you think that they're yeah. just so yeah. mind-boggling. But in the end, I wrote this. I mean, I did lose it. They weren't wrong. I was a bit mental. I wrote a five-page <laughs> handwritten letter to, oh my God. to um, the consultant that they finally referred me to, basically saying, like, I am going to keep coming back every until week until you give me an operation. <laughs> oh and then I saw the letter you sent to my GP, and it was like, this woman is clearly very mentally distressed about her situation. We need to give her um, investigatory mm. operation like basically to shut this bitch up. Um, I went, had the operation. Lo and behold, I was in a very bad way. My I had a scar tissue from an old operation that had grown around my intestines. Oh my it God. was cutting off my intestines, which if anyone knows about intestine blockages, they 
quite important. Yeah, it will kill quite you. Quite an important organ. <laughs> and um, they had to remove a chunk of my abdomen. Oh my god! To fix it, and this whole time they you were being, being fobbed off. I thought I was going. Oh. And I thought I, I thought I was going mad. How long was this time period before, like nine months? And oh um, my god, nine months. Yeah, and that's that, gaslighted. that was only sped along because in the end, my parents were so worried they paid for me to have a private, private scan yeah. Yeah. to that's prove what you have that to it wasn't end up an ovarian cyst because oh otherwise. God. And that brought the scan forward by about four months. So <gasps> it could have been a year. Could've and you longer. were fortunate that your parents were able to do that yeah. or for people yeah. who have access to Imagine private medical it. care through work, perhaps. But yeah. if you don't have access to that, you are at the mercy yeah, exactly. of their dismissive behaviour. And this is how people die. Yeah, yeah. literally. Shittest like 26th women. birthday ever. Had to go oh, to the oh for <laughs> But I'm lucky. Thank I, goodness you're okay yeah. now. Yeah. I'm lucky experience. my parents had the resources. Yes, and that. to be able to do that. Yeah, I wouldn't and shut it's, up. It's something very interesting, actually. You mentioned hysteria and about this kind of um, putting on women, oh, you're actually, you're just you're just crazy. You're yeah. just having a, having a, taking a turn. Mm. Um, and this is kind of a slightly lighter a lighter topic. I think I've mentioned this to some, but the, the, the case we of the yeah, year. the wandering womb. Have you any of you ever heard of this? No. So this is something that used to happen um, to people when there was a there was a massive thing about hysteria and about mm. um, wives who would take a turn and would have to have smelling salts and were going crazy and oh, they would get yes. taken to I the doctor that, and yeah. and there was this idea a while ago that the soul was in your womb and um, they the doctors had decided that in women they would go mad if uh, the womb would grow legs and would kind of wander about your body basically and the <laughs> womb would be up maybe by your chest and that's why these women were going crazy and, and you know m- m- many of them were probably either just you know behaving rationally or maybe they had anxiety or maybe they were tired or maybe, well, maybe they were they done were just with upset. shit um, people were just angry why does it finished. always have to be attributed to hormones yeah, this was a this, few hundred years ago it was a while ago <laughs> <laughs> but this, so essentially, they de- they devised this this technique to coax the womb back to its original place and to calm these women was down. It was a wank. Um, it was a wank. <laughs> it was literally a wank. So they created. That's how um, the vibrator was. This is uh, how the vibrator because these do- male doctors were like, "Oh, I'm so bored of having to wank off these women all day." So they created um, <laughs> the first vibrator. Oh, but the best thing about thank it, them. The yeah, best so thing about them. it is that they, they these doctors didn't realize what they were doing. They had no idea that they were wanking off the women. They were just going, oh, well, here's a little button that will get the womb back. And they they thought, obviously, the women were orgasming on their tables. And they were going, ah, yes, the, it's been released. The hysteria is gone. <laughs> the womb is back to where it should be. Off you go. Oh. And obviously, they were getting really stressed out because cases of hysteria were going through the roof. Absolutely, women yeah. lining up. Lining being up. Like, please, yes. doctor, you've got to help me. Please, please, coax my womb back to where it is. So this is Sponsored masturbation. Oh my gosh. And I think that Bring is just incredible. Bring it back. <laughs> and yet they didn't want boobs on TV. Yeah. There you go. And I think yeah. that's just Still can't incredible. Show our nipples, Literally. And I kind of think, yeah, wh- why did they never ask to prescribe you that when they said you were hysterical? Why I would, did I they would not have taken like, that, to be honest. Yeah, Stephanie, hands <laughs> off, get on the table, off we go. And honestly, I, I urge anyone listening to this to go and Google 
like the first vibrators because actually to be fair they are quite terrifying looking they look a bit like a lawnmower um, but like Ooh. go and have a look they are wow. hilarious um, and they're on like little what are these called um, hand cranks yeah things. hand cranks and oh it's incredible because obviously it wasn't electric back then yeah. but I think you know a that's hand a hand crank for your once so that <laughs> sorry <laughs> we've got the poet over here thank you Annie but I work in marketing <laughs> this is quite a nice time one one example of when misunderstanding of the female body actually turned out yeah. quite well for us because we all got a wank from it yeah. so when the medical <laughs> industry really came through exactly for women. really came through doing their bit good allies to be yeah. honest oh. Oh, gosh. We can thank them now. Don't yeah. forget, by the Look way, just to much. say to you listeners, you know, do do engage with us and and do you know, do get involved and tell us about your experiences and stuff. I think it's so important for mm. us as women to share our stories yeah. and, like we've said today, you know, not to um, feel ashamed to talk about stuff. Mm. These discussions you'd be are surprised so how many people have gone through so many different things. It's only once you get that conversation flowing mm. that you realise, oh. It's not just me. Yeah. I'm not yeah. crazy. I'm not weird. I'm it's, not strange. And you can get tips as well. I remember discussing yeah. um, my when I used to be on hormonal contraception. I'm not anymore. But when I was, um, for some reason, suddenly, um, I went to get my repeat prescription and it was a whole new brand that I was given. And I was really confused because obviously, as a lot of you will know, there are loads of different brands oh, yeah. and they all react differently to different people. So I had this new brand and I was just told, no, 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 it's just a rebranding. It's the same. It's the same thing. Yeah. And um, it's the same thing. I used to be a microgynon and I was on Rigavedon. Oh, I was on microgynon. Yeah. Well, and did yeah. you get the it's new, like me. the rebrand? No. The Rigavedon. No, because I changed. Yeah. So they started being like, yeah. this is just, uh, it's the same one. They've just changed the name. When I actually spoke to other women about it suddenly they were going I was hearing all these things like Rigavedon um, made me so depressed um, I know somebody who tried to uh, uh, commit suicide because oh they were on goodness. this I know somebody who had this who had that mm. and when I actually looked into it it was just a very cheap a cheaper version yeah. of a similar drug it wasn't the same uh, so okay, microgynon so was, ex- was, was fantastic for me yeah. but it was it was it was a different pill mm. and Rigavedon has now actually it's been come out very recently all of these studies with people going this pill this hormonal contraceptive is killing women mm-hmm. young girls um, and I think if I hadn't had those conversations with women I would never have known yeah. and so these th- these kind of open mm. table conversations are so important to so go to your friends ask them about their periods ask, ask them about, about their bodies it. talk to your mum <laughs> you know you're close with your mum and also you know when you go to the doctor don't just I'm not saying you don't listen to what the doctor says, but if something doesn't feel right, if you feel as though you are being brushed off, yeah. don't wait years mm-hmm. I was like say I that. did and Stephanie. Yeah. You know, ask for a second opinion. You know, you know your body. You know your best. body. Nobody knows your body better yeah. than you, yeah. and yeah. it isn't a case of a one size fits all. That yeah. doesn't work. What were you going to say? Oh, I was just going to say I was on a girls' night out recently, and then we ended up talking about um, vaginas, and some yeah. of them like some of my friends were really confused as to like what is the vulva and what is the labia and then we had a very heated discussion so I think it's important to sort of talk about these things and educate your friends it'll make their sex better it'll make their life better it'll make their hospital appointments better even like I remember maybe like four years ago having a really frank conversation with my friends about what vaginas just look like not even a medical thing because one of them was so self-conscious that her 
inner labia was longer than her outer labia. Yeah. And we were like, it's completely normal. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. they long all, inner labia I mean, girls, where yeah. you at? They yeah. don't always look who, the same. Exactly. <laughs> who was that artist who like um, the casts? Who did the cast of like loads of different vaginas yeah. to, and then put them on all together on a wall? If you oh, Google vagina amazing. plaster cast art, it will come up. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and it might be just one. Yeah, yeah. Check that out later. Yeah. <laughs> but absolutely. I mean, I think trust your intuition and do not be afraid to push. That's mm. what the old i've gotten the more i've learned that you just really mm. if you're not getting the treatment you want you have every single right to go back and push for the referral push for the the scan or the blood test whatever it is that you think that you need to get the answers that you deserve totally. don't be afraid to push like you don't have to go home unsatisfied with the answer you've been given yeah. like cheryl yeah. said or ask yeah. for a second it's, opinion if yeah. they put their foot down mm. you do have a right as a patient to see yeah. who yeah. you want and I mean, we've done a little bit of summing up, and but I just would w- want to know if anyone has kind of taken away anything particular from this chat. If you've learnt something new, that would be super cool. Has anyone? Obviously, we've discussed all of. Oh, I'm trying to think how. Well, what we've spoken about. I think it's. I just think it's opened opened my eyes even more to the fact that some of the experiences that I've gone through, a lot of other women have gone through those experiences mm-hmm. as well. And um, like you said, like we said before, you know, it, it isn't a case of a one size fits all. And it's actually made me a bit more confident, even just doing this podcast. Mm. I would probably wouldn't have spoken publicly about some of the oh. things I've spoken about today. So that's good. Yeah, it feels quite liberating to do yes, so. Yes, <laughs> I've really enjoyed hearing everyone's first period stories yeah. because, like, I always thought that mine was so traumatic, and I went through a lot. And just hearing other people's stories makes me feel like, okay, well. I'm not the only one. Yeah. I think that's why we do have to like trust our bodies and talk to our friends and family mm, about it. Yeah. I think for me before when we when we were talking about what we were going to discuss today and we went and did some reading, I didn't realize how um, differently symptoms and illnesses can manifest in the different sexes. Um so for me that was a real eye opener and I I don't want anyone to come away from listening to this thinking, oh, it's all doom and gloom, and they don't give a shit about women because it is changing. We are, we are making a lot of headway in female health and advancements. Mm-hmm. It is being taken more seriously, but you know, take, mm-hmm. take control yourself as well, and don't be afraid to fight for the treatment that you mm-hmm. want and that you deserve. And you know, do your research as well. You know. Maybe your doctor isn't up to date, like like we were saying earlier. They're not all specialists and everything. Mm, yeah, and, you know, totally. You, yeah, just mm. kind of take control yourself and yeah. educate yourself about your body, like Bea was mm. saying earlier. Nobody's yeah, going to be your yeah. advocate more than you. Mm. Yeah. I say this to my grandmother all the time because she can be a nightmare when she goes to the doctors. She just mm. doesn't say anything to mm. them, but you've got to mm. fight for yourself. So. Yeah. yeah, I think... I think sorry. Oh, no, you go. Uh, I was going to say, like, don't be afraid to, like ask for a female GP if you yeah. feel like if you feel more comfortable if you feel you more feel comfortable with yeah. it like obviously like the story I told earlier I felt a lot more comfortable speaking to a female nurse and felt a lot more sort of confident with my choices mm. medically than with speaking to a male GP who just kind of shot me down a bit yeah completely um no I think I've just learned like, it's so nice hearing everyone else's stories and again I agree with you Stephanie I think I've learned how much how much I have not quite appreciated how different an experience it is being a woman in a doctor's appointment rather than Mm. a man. And I think I would encourage anyone, if you find any of these topics interesting, there's an incredible book that I've just finished reading, which is called um, Inferior. It's by um, Angela Slimey, and it's uh, basically got loads of information. It is quite science-heavy, but she goes through and she debunks all of these kind of things. And a lot of the stuff that I've been talking about today about... um, 
trials and about being left out of studies and stuff she touches on that and then she explains why it is and she talks to loads of different doctors and stuff so if you're looking for kind of overview on female inferiority in the medical world and the scientific world that is an incredible book and I would really 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 recommend it to anybody um but uh, if you if you haven't been sick of us talking because you can just go read it in a book form instead um but thank you so much for you guys for coming and joining and chatting and being so open it was really really great yeah, it's I a think, pleasure it's yeah, great yeah, i think you. it was it, it, all of these conversations can be so much better when we are just completely open and, and have i think a safe it makes space a change to talk. yeah it mm. does help people to feel more mm. comfortable to share their stories and their yeah, experiences totally. so mm. yeah it's great and thank you very much to le- to you listening as well. Um, all of these kind of open conversations can only happen when other people get involved too. And we all open up as fear to be able to talk and chat. So thank you so much for tuning in and make sure you follow us on all of our socials and look out for the next episode. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks a Love lot. You. Take care. Bye. <laughs>